Look at all that hair on there. I'm very pleased to be joined by Art Bell, the author of the new book, Constant Comedy, and one of the, the founder of Comedy Central. And I want to just, before anything else, want to say to you, I hope you feel very, very welcome. I hope you feel very, very uh, safe and free. And I know you said you listened to a couple episodes of the show. Uh, and you were like, oh, this isn't something like I've done. And I I hope that's the experience for anybody and everybody. And I hope I hope that I can lend that experience to you as well. No, I feel great. It's great to be here, Corey. Thanks very much for having me. Uh, and uh, I like your little drum opening there. I'm a drummer too, so I appreciate that. Oh, man. Should have brought yeah. out your drums too, man. Well, they're down. I, yeah, dragging them up here would have been bad. What, what kind of drum are you playing, can I ask? Oh, it's a little djembe. It's a little djembe yeah. drum. So is that your is that like your instrument or do you have other drums around stuff? So? Uh no, I mean it's not it's not like I'm not a I'm not a drummer. Uh -huh. But uh it, it for me I I started using it in wrestling. In in wrestling I would use it as my like I would use that as my entrance. Right, your signature would, prop kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. So I would say that <laughs> I tried to I tried to get goofy with wrestling. So I would say for a little while, I guess like the last like two two or three years where I'd say on my way to the ring that this drum helps me uh, summon the alternate universes where I can get a contact of alternate universe Corey castles and they can come here and help me fight my battles. <laughs> it was just a convenient way for me I'm, to. I'm buying it, man. I think that's great. <laughs> I'd like to summon some of my alternates too. So, so you believe you believe in the multiverse on top of everything oh, else? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's so that's do a, I. I mean, that's that's a mega a mega mega uh, chunk of my personality. Really? Yeah. You just know somebody. There's a better Corey out there and a worse yeah. Corey, and you're just sort of the compromise Corey. Well, I'd I'd hope. I'd hope that every alternate universe version of me would subscribe to this podcast and, <laughs> and maybe learn lessons they didn't know they needed to know. That's that, that's really cool to think about it like that. I, I guess every, I would want every alternate version of me to write a different book. And that way I could be like one of the most prolific writers of all time. Well, uh, I'm would, up to one, one right one, now, by the way. Would one alternate universe? <laughs> no, no, art, no, one book, you know. Well, art, well the other ver universe versions of art call it like sometimes comedy. <laughs> yeah, right. It would be, it would be, you know, you didn't mention, I have to say this, excuse me. You did not mention the subtitle of my book. Oh, you know what? Let's is, start all over again. Cut it all. Let's cut yeah, it. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Take two here. Take, you know. I'm going to cut it. At, honestly, I'm not going to cut it. No, out. no, you don't have to cut it. I'm just saying. <laughs> no, the, no, the, I'm, I'm, I'm totally messing with you. The right? subtitle is the cool is like the coolest part of the whole book. I think that's my personal opinion. Anyway, how I started Comedy Central and lost my sense of humor. That's you it. The, that's the subtitle you're speaking. Right, of. right, right, uh, dude. That it's like it's such a an a interesting branding to like have. That 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 subtitle is very much like yes, I'm gonna I'm gonna dive into this now. Like, well, that's it. I mean, you know what? You. 
That's ex- you got that right. Exactly right. What I wanted to convey with the subtitle was mm-hmm. that Comedy Central was it was not successful from the get go. It was really hard and it took a lot out of me and a lot out of a lot of other people. And it almost died about 50 times in the first year. Right. I wanted to make that clear because I think, you know, the thing's 30 years old this month. Can you believe it? In April. Wow. 30 year anniversary coming right up. Yeah. That's dude, cool. Dude, I was five when it came out. I was <laughs> I was such honestly, I was such a fan of stand-up comedy, even like as a little kid. I remember watching I think Rosie O'Donnell hosted a thing on VH1 when I was uh-huh. a little kid. And uh-huh. it was like it was like the the, like there was a curtain behind her with like light bulbs on it or uh-huh. something. I somehow I somehow picturing that and me being like, what is that job? That's what I want my job to be. I remember saying that at the youngest age saying like, I want to be what that is. And I told my, my mom and my sister, and my brother, and they were like, yeah, that's a comedian. You're going to be a comedian. And that's all I ever wanted to be when I was a kid. And then I discovered pro wrestling when I was a teenager. Well, that's a nice story. Um, but you, you do a little comedy now, right? Yeah. Yes. Yes. Stand up? Yeah. I never actually did a whole lot of stand up myself. And But I we do have this in common. Um, I discovered comedy. I must have been six or seven. Mm-hmm. You know? And the way I discovered it is, first of all, you know, in my house, everybody was kind of funny. I had two brothers, especially my, my youngest brother was six years younger than me. Well, I guess when I was six, he was one. So he wasn't that funny then. But, you know, as we were growing up, he was like he was like in charge of slapstick. Mm-hmm. He was always falling down or, you know, putting his face in the spaghetti for a laugh, you know, stuff like that. Oh, and then, you know, my dad would, a bit. Yeah, right. my dad, <laughs> he became he, he's he's into he's still in comedy. I'll tell you about that later. But um, and my dad was kind of funny. But what really got me going and this is true was I watched. Uh, the Ed Sullivan show, which was a variety show on every Sunday night mm-hmm. in the sixties. And all the, that's where all the comedians were, mm-hmm. you know? And when I was a six or seven years old, I was watching comedians. I said, same, kind of the same thing you did. Like, man, how do they do that? They make everybody laugh. That's pretty powerful. I want to, that's a power I would like. How do you do that? And every week, man, I get the TV guide, look up who was going to be on and just uh, glue myself to the set. Richard Pryor, I saw Richard Pryor for the first time in my life and on his first appearance on the Ed Sullivan show. Mm-hmm. He was like 19 or something. Wow, dude. Skinny kid, and he 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 was so funny, I couldn't believe it. Anyway, I, that's uh yeah, discovering just, these things when you're kids is important. I just listened to the uh Eddie Murphy episode of WTF today. Oh, or really? yesterday. The uh, Eddie Mur- and he was talking about Richard Pryor like crazy. It was it was talking about that era in comedy and it being like not as many comics, not as many. It wasn't as big of a thing as it is now, like comedy in that era when and it started to like become a little bit bigger of a community. What did, what did you get in like in the 80s when it was starting? It was like 88 when it started, right? Yeah. So when when it started, like what kind of relationship did you have with comedians and trying to like try to. I understand the world of stand-up at that point. Yeah, well, you got that right. I was trying to understand the world of stand-up. I, I walked into the whole comedy world completely cold. I had no experience in the comedy business when I pitched the channel to HBO and they said, okay, yeah, let's try it. Uh, and and uh, they teamed me up with a guy named Stu Smiley. 
and he he was the head of HBO Comedy. Now at that time, HBO Comedy was getting pretty hot. Mm-hmm. They were doing those one-hour comedy specials with Robin Williams, you know, mm-hmm. and Whoopi Goldberg and, uh, and comic, uh, comic Relief. Phone. Well, Comic Relief was was something they did as well. Mm-hmm. But I'm saying they did. They brought all these great comics to HBO where they could show their their uh, acts uncut. Man, mm-hmm. you couldn't see Robin Williams anywhere else right. unless you were in a club. Right. You couldn't see him do his act the way he really wanted to do his act because it was like you know crazy mm-hmm. profane, and you right. never knew what he was going to do. So right. the you know imagine imagine being a network censor with Robin Williams on you. You're just you're just like hitting a button. <laughs> like where's he going now? <laughs> where's but, the delay? We need yeah delay. really we need to make that a 15 second delay, not seven. <laughs> but but um you know that's the thing. HBO had really kind of brought that kind of stand up to the to television in a mm-hmm. way that it hadn't been before and um you know that was kind of the mid to to late 80s and on top of that you're right the the stand up comedy club scene was starting to gel a little bit mm-hmm. you know before then there were like you know a handful of clubs in the city it got to the point where as you know you know, every Holiday Inn had a four-inch riser, and then you know there'd be some guy up there in front of a mic doing comedy. And I'm not listen. I'm not de- denigrating it, dude. I do. That's, I that's do, where I do mics came from. I do mics. I do mics like that sometimes too. There's there's a quote in my book, um, by Richard Belzer. I'm not going to get the quote right because I'm not looking at my book. But it was along the lines of this, and this was like in '88, '89, '90. It was like something like. Um, you know, in the old days, kids grew up wanting to be a rock star, you know, right. and now kids are growing up and they want to be a stand-up comedian. You're like, that's what's going on. This is a rev- this is a stand-up comedy revolution. That's what Belzer said. Right. You know, and he was right. He was he right. He was totally right. Yeah. I mean, because here's the thing. To be a to be a rock star, you gotta have you gotta have uh musical inclination. You gotta be you gotta be talented in in comedy, you just gotta be funny. You I mean, funny and talent kind of well, stop right there with the just have to be funny. Oh no, okay. All right, no, you know I'm not minimalizing it in you're, any way. You're you're cheapening the whole thing. Oh yeah, please, please don't take it as me minimalizing it because and absolutely let me, let me tell you something. One of the things I learned, I, I said I walked into comedy cold, the comedy business. Right. Uh, I didn't know anything about it. And uh first thing Stu Smiley, I said the head of comedy said to me was, Hey, what do you know about comedy? Mm-hmm. And he didn't say it in a nice way, like, hey, come here, kid. I'll teach you everything you have to know. Like, it was more like, what the hell are you doing here? Well, like, um, yeah, like what, what do you think? You, what do you think you are? Yeah, exactly. And comedy, I, I, I comedy was kind of a closed little, you know, environment. Mm-hmm. Stu mm-hmm. knew all the comedians. He knew all the managers. You're right. There weren't that many, you know, mm-hmm. top guys then or even second level, third level guys. Mm-hmm. But he was the business. He's been in it for 10 years. I didn't know. I didn't know anything about it. Mm-hmm. But one of the things I learned early on was don't don't try and compete with the professionals. You mm-hmm. know, like when I was in college and stuff, people said, oh, Art, you're so funny, man. I did some sketch comedy and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But when you're around like Bobcat Goldthwait or, you know, or, you know, I was around, I, I did a show with Robert Klein, I, mm-hmm. uh, who was my college stand-up comedy hero. He was, a, he, he was. and there I was doing, producing a show with him. But speaking, speaking of HBO, that dude had yeah, so many specials. Yeah. That's right, that's right. Yeah. But- yeah. But you can't out funny these guys. I mean, mm-hmm. these guys are these guys. I'm trying to think. Oh, you know, so many of the writers I know they're the same way. 
Mm-hmm. They're just like you sit there. I'm sitting there having lunch with a guy named Nick Bakai, who's a, a sitcom writer, and he started a comedy channel. And he's a great guy, but he's so funny that you know you can't even eat because you're you'll spray everything all over the table. So uh, <laughs> it's, it's like trying to take a drink in a car on a bumpy road. <laughs> Everything's a spit take, a <laughs> you know. <laughs> but he is, and he just you know that that's what those guys are. And I got to say something. This is not you want to talk about something personal about me. And by the way. I wrote this as a memoir. I wrote my book as a memoir. So it's very yeah, it's, personal. I should you have know. said that too, because it says memoir right on the cover. Yeah. And we'll talk about why it's a memoir and not, you know, not something else. It's not a history. Right. Not, um, but I found true. early on that I like to be around really funny people. And you know why? Because I think I was like slightly depressed, mm-hmm. you know, as a kid and even beyond. And I sought out people who could really make me laugh and I could really laugh with. And it's to this day, I, I, I kind of hang out with crazy people, not, not, you know, literally, but, but people were just like, tell me funny stories and, and are, some of them are professional comedians and stuff. But that for me was why I wanted a comedy network uh-huh. because I thought the world should, should really kind of see what the, what what comedy was all about in all of its facets, in uh-huh. all of its form, not just stand up, but, you know, sketch, comedy movies, the mm-hmm. great comedy movies. Let me tell you, I got a funny story. You want to hear this? Yes, um, absolutely. If you my, have any story, don't have to ask me if I want to hear it. I absolutely want to hear it. It's not really that funny. It's kind of like on the cute kind of funny thing. Well, you, um, can, you can define funny however you feel like <laughs> defining fun. Well, I found this really kind of touching. I, yeah. I, my cousin, I have a cousin. She's much younger than me. But I have a cousin, and she's like, she just had her first kid, right? And the kid's, well, just. The kid's about five years old, right? And she sent me a tape of the kid. She said, you know, I read your book. I loved it. And by the way, here's a tape of my kid falling down. You know, he loves to, like, prove that he's funny by falling down and getting everybody to laugh, right? So I said, hey, have him watch some Buster Keaton movies. And I told her what to watch. And she writes me back like two days later. She goes, oh, my God. We showed him the Buster Keaton movie. Now all he wants to do is like fall off the bed, you know, fall face first onto the floor. You know, he's really honing his falling act. I thought, yeah, because that's what Buster Keaton, he was the best. The guy was the best slapstick comedy guy ever. And if you don't think you like slapstick, watch a Buster Keaton movie. You'll be hysterical. Do you think... When 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 you set out and you and you were you Stu Smiley was the guy's name? Yeah. When you and Stu like teamed up, were you like, well, we want to build this network around these comics? Did you have like did you have like a Rolodex of comics who you wanted to have film specials to get them out there? Let me let me make this a hundred percent perfectly clear to everybody in your uh, in your audience. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. I mean, the fact is, I pitched the idea of a comedy network that I had been thinking of a long time mm-hmm. for a long time. But there wasn't. It wasn't like, oh, well, we can do it like that comedy network, but we'll do ours a little different. You know, we were making this thing up from scratch. We had no idea what was going to be on it. Now, I had a concept for it, and again, I wasn't in the comedy business. And the concept did not revolve around stand-up. I mean, there would be stand-up on it. But it was really, you know, more of a kind of all-encompassing comedy comedy thing. So, no. The answer is no, we didn't. But Stu had no idea what to do either. 
I mean, you got to remember, they teamed us up. It's not like we said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We were like, hey, what the hell are we going to do now? Somebody hey. said, yes. You know, <laughs> they said, yeah. yeah, go ahead, make a comedy network and we'll pay for it. Right. And and that was, you know, that was a crazy, scary thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and as time went by, we put it together the best way we, and when I say it's me and Stu, you know, at some point before we launched the thing, there were a hundred people working, hundreds of people working on it. Really funny people. Mm-hmm. Um, really uh, top people. And I will say this, one of the reasons, one of the, one of the things that tipped me off that the comedy network was going to be a success, whatever happened was that almost immediately comedians wanted to hang around with us. You know what I mean? I mean, we were, we built a studio and we were doing some live shows, you know, and stuff like that and some tape shows. Mm-hmm. Um, but then all these comedians wanted to be part of it. And then I found out, you know, around the same time, one of the comedians said, look, we're really, we're really honored that you're throwing us a channel. Yeah. You know, nobody, nobody said, I mean, MTV was, you know, rock, they were celebrating rock and roll. Mm-hmm. Nobody was celebrating comedy like this. And we, we're throwing a channel all about comedy and they, and the comedians were like, cool. That's really cool. Thank you. You started a revolution. Like you start without comedy central, without comedy central people like me, or I'm, I don't even want to say people like me because I'm nobody in comedy, but uh, people like a lot of people who've made a living in comedy, were able to make a living having something to look up to and something to be inspired by and something to go, Oh, I can I can actually make a living or I can pursue my dreams. And if my dreams are this, because you know, that outlet didn't exist previous to you. So well, that's that's exactly right. The outlet did not exist. Mm-hmm. One of the other things that happened early on before we launched Comedy Channel, uh was that we decided we wanted to do a show. Actually, the, the guy who decided was Eddie Gordetska. He was the head writer of the comedy channel. And think about that. We had a head writer for our channel. How crazy is that? And he's a very funny guy, obviously. He's still working. He's a sitcom writer. Um, and Eddie, uh, Eddie said, hey, we got – he talked like that. Hey, we got to have a show where comedians are watching TV or movies and making funny remarks, right? And I said, you know, and everybody said, yeah, that's a good idea. Okay. So we started putting that show together. And like a week later in the mail, we get this package and we open the package and there's a letter in it. And it says, hey, we hear you guys are starting a comedy channel. Is this something you'd be interested in? And it was MST 3000. Right. Yeah. I was thinking that. They were doing it. They Ah, were doing the show. We, you know, we were thinking of, and it was. It was not only were they doing it, but it was you know brilliant and really really better funny. better than you could better than you could imagine it would be exactly exactly, exactly. I, I I I I feel what you're thinking while you're while you're thinking it. But then, but you know the the right. reason I mention is because you said, you know, the, this was a place for this kind of stuff. This was a place for innovative comedy because mm-hmm. you know, Mystery Science Theater three thousand was not going to NBC. Right. right. That wasn't going even to HBO, which right. was probably oh, the furthest the time. Yeah. It was like people would say, what are you crazy? Nobody wants to watch this. Mm-hmm. But we immediately put it on the air. And it almost immediately for us, even with our very small audience initially, got noticed right. by people who love comedy. Uh, and and it, it almost immediately kind of worked its way into the pop culture of uh, certainly of New York City, where we'd launched, but 
you know, the rest of America. And I'm, I'm really proud of that. All this, all the shows that made it to Comedy Central that would not otherwise have had a home. Right. That's, dude, the, you got to feel like a, like a, like a proud, a proud godfather sometimes when, when that kind of stuff happens. And you're like, look at, look at the amount of careers that now still exist, especially like even, even the crew, like the people who just worked on it as art directors or people who worked as grips or just director photographer, just any of that stuff, like all those jobs and those livings and those families that exist off of the chance that you took to go look comedy is this escape that brings joy into people's lives everyone needs it and 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 you pitch the idea and that was an idea that no one else had pitched and it it spawned a thing that that really it it, it was so fruitful yeah, so, you know, I, I feel that. I feel that. You know, people ask me, when I was working there, they'd say, well, what are you doing? You're just working in television. You know, like I'd be dating or something, and the father would say, what do you do? You're a producer in TV or something? What do you do? And I said, hey, you know, we're doing Comedy Channel, Comedy Central, man. We make people laugh. And I was proud of that. Yeah. you Just, just that line, we make people laugh. Mm -hmm. I mean, I started that thing. I pitched it because I loved comedy. Mm -hmm. And I assumed there were other people out there who loved comedy, you know? And I thought... Why not have a channel for them? So, yeah, I am proud of it. And I'm amazed that it's 30 years later. Sucker is still up there, you know? Yeah. Still right. playing. Well, so. do you, do you like, look at – it's funny because like, the reason I was asking that other question earlier about, like, having comics that you were like, oh, I would center center it around this. Because I know it went it went beyond just stand-up. And it was, it was Mystery Science Theater and it was uh, – sketch and it was tons yeah, of different stuff yeah. all you know in a hodgepodge little mixed together stew right uh, but like what about nowadays like if you were watch if you were to have another opportunity to start something new that was just like what comedy central was when it started because comedy central now compared to what comedy central was then is really not the same thing tell me but about it, that you know it, tell me what you what, what, what are you thinking no, I, I love Comedy Central, but I mean, it's not as much, it's not as, um, it's not as kind of like how, kind of how MTV was like music videos and now it's just a bunch of shows. Like that's kind of what Comedy Central became. It was like stand up and then there's a bunch of shows, which, you know, would, would never, ha would never really happen on Comedy Central. I don't think they like really played like sitcoms or anything. I don't think that was. I don't even think that's still a thing. I know that there's shows, but not like canned laughter sitcoms, which I mean, I'm a fan of. I like that stuff. But I'm saying, like, if 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 you were to if you were to try to start something new, like hypothetically, if you were trying to start something new, what would be the names in comedy? Just like the five names that you'd want to like build around. Well, at this point, you know, I mean. John Mulaney, you know, is one of the great guys, and Gary Goldman. Those are the two guys I, I really think about. There's, there's so many great comics, you know. In, in those days, it's not like we didn't have a lot of comics to choose from. And we did start with a group of comedians who were doing shows. Alan Havy, do you know that name, Alan Havy? He's on Billions now. He's an actor. But he was a very – he wasn't, like, really, really famous comedian. But he was, like, you know, he was a pretty well-known comedian in those days. We wow. gave him a show. And uh, um, John Stewart, 
We started with John Stewart, wow. man. Yeah. I just saw a clip of John Stewart when on the the show was called Short Attention Span Theater, mm-hmm. and what it was was he got he would you know talk. It was a little like MTV talk about some comedy stuff, and then he'd say, "Hey, let's look at a clip of this, or let's look at some clips from Eddie Murphy, or let's look, you know." And it was short form comedy, the way mm-hmm. people watch comedy now on uh, on YouTube, but you know. I, even then I could tell he was great. Alan Havy was great. Who else do we have? Um, uh, those are the two that come to mind because the, the other ones, I mean, they were kind of unknown. Again, Nick Bakai was there. Now nobody knew who he was. He was a kid, but he did a, he did like a show called rain delay, which was a takeoff on sports rain delay shows uh-huh. where they would just sit around and say, yeah, you know, we got, we got nothing to talk about, but we're going to keep talking. And it was a riot. You know, yeah. that was that was the really early days of Comedy Channel. And let me tell you about that. You know, what was great about that. We tried everything. We just mm-hmm. did. We just wanted to have fun. We wanted it to be uh, fun. And we also wanted it to be known as a place. That's why we built a studio. And, you know, in the 90s, we always said we always announced our show. Say, you know, watch this at 10 o'clock here at Comedy Central. We didn't say here on Comedy Central or watch it on Comedy Central. Oh, man. Here at Comedy Central. Because we wanted. Yeah. yeah, We wanted people to think. Uh We wanted people to think you can actually go there and see all these comedians hanging around. Yeah. Which wasn't that far from the truth. Uh But, you know, listen, we're working in offices and studios Uh like everybody else. But uh, but yeah, we wanted we wanted that kind of center of the comedy universe feel you know mm-hmm. that it was all kind of coming to us mm-hmm. and eventually that's you know that's the way we felt it mm-hmm. but we could also try anything and that was the beauty of it it was nobody, an experimental nobody phase there i mean it has never been done before none of that stuff had never been done so you absolutely want to go well let's throw the spaghetti at the wall and see if it sticks like especially especially if you're you know getting if you're getting viacom's money well, look, let me go back to my initial comment, which was it was hard in the right. first year. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Meaning, we th- I went to work every day thinking they were going to shut us down. Oh, yeah, yeah. I can you know, imagine. just like job security is not really something that you're automatically like, yep, Teflon. I, I don't I'm, not have a, I'm not talking about job security. I'm talking right. about at that point, I felt like I'd gotten 200 people <laughs> into this thing. And HBO was pouring a lot of money into it. Mm-hmm. And they'd stake the reputation on the fact they were going to do a cable channel that was really funny. Mm-hmm. And when we launched, people said, oh, it's not that funny. What are they talking about? They're kind of flopping. This isn't a great comedy channel. And, you know, you think back, you say, well, why should anybody think that on day one, the channel would be like, you know, perfectly formed and brilliantly funny? Why would anyone think that? But that's the standard they held us to. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, as I said, we almost got shut down because it was not considered successful and it was not making money. Well, I, that, that, that'll go right back to a point I always make. I don't know if you've ever heard me say it, but I always talk about how um, you kind, kind of have to be careful about how you advertise yourself as things. So if you if I come out here and I tell you I'm funny, I'm smart, I'm handsome. And and then you look at me and you're like, dude, you're, you're not that good looking. <laughs> And you haven't made me laugh once, and you're not really that smart. I've you've proved yourself to be pretty stupid. So not only are you stupid, unfunny, ugly, you're a liar too. Okay, so let me set this up for you. I pitched this channel, I and and they said HBO said yes, right? Mm-hmm. And the chairman of HBO was a guy named Michael Fuchs. Mm-hmm. 
mm-hmm. and he loved the idea. He was the guy who was responsible for getting all that comedy on HBO. Mm-hmm. He set up a press conference in LA to announce it. And I'm like, you know, like, don't, don't make a big deal about this yet. You know, we don't really know where we're going. Right. Huge press conference. He gets up there and he says, we are HBO. We are about to launch the funniest channel ever. Oh. And like the entire, everybody was there. Oh, and I was man. there. I'm sitting next to Billy Crystal, who's looking at me like, huh, who are you? You know, like, <laughs> and, and he just really kind of put it all out there. Now, let me tell you one other thing. The New York Times Magazine had just said they had Michael Fuchs on the cover mm-hmm. with the headline, the most powerful man in Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Okay. So there were lots of people out there just waiting for this guy to fall on his face, right? And and the expectations were sky high. And then week one, we got creamed by the press. I mean, worst notices ever. Somebody called us the gong channel. Somebody Uh, said, this stuff is not only not funny, it's unfunny. You know, it's it's just terrible. And, uh, you know, I got a call from Michael Fuchs around that time. Actually, that's where the subtitle comes from. Michael Michael was the one who said to me, you know, it took a comedy channel to make me lose my sense of humor. Oh. He said that because that's how serious it was. Is, he was embarrassed. He uh, was really embarrassed for a while. Is, Thank is, goodness we pulled it out. On your book? Huh? Is he getting royalties on your book? Is he getting- uh, he's in the book. He's in the book. He doesn't need my royalties. No, he's in the book. He's kind of like, uh, he's actually kind of the um, antagonist. I'm the protagonist because I'm like the, right. the main the yeah. main guy. Everybody's he's, a hero in their own book. He's, he's kind of like the godfather of the whole situation, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm always either, you know, tussling him or keeping my eye out for him or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's, you know, that's part of what makes the book a good dramatic read, even though it's funny. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, that, that was... Um, that was a tough first year. Very tough first year. So both parents? Did you have both parents growing up? Yeah. I know you said you had a brother who's six years younger than you. Yeah, yeah. Is that your only sibling? No, I had two siblings. Uh, one who was three years younger, one who was six years younger. Yeah, they're still around. Yeah. What, so was it, what, what kind of upbringing? Were you guys like middle class, uh, working class, poor? No, no, we, we were, we were kind of like middle class. You know, in, in those days, everybody was kind of middle class. I mean, I remember like I had one kid who was rich, one friend who was rich, you know, like his father had a big yacht and they had a nice house and everything else. But everybody else was kind of like, you know, in the same boat. You got doctors, you got lawyers, you got my dad. The was same a, boat, was but like not Calvin. a yacht. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, and I think that made a difference. I think, you know, here's something you may not know about me. I came out of college and I, I, I had a degree in economics and I went... I went to Washington, D.C. to work as an economist. Wow. You know, and nobody said to me at the time, are you sure you're going to be able to make a living as an economist? I mean, is that something? Do economists get make money? Are they well paid? You know, now we talk to our kids. It's like, what are you going to do, man? You got to make money. You got to support yourself, all this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But in those days, we always just assume like, hey, whatever you did, you're going to end up middle class. Yeah, right. As long as you got a job, you know, the big job was doctor. Everybody wanted you to be a doctor. Right. That was like, but it's not like the doctor who were incredibly wealthy or they were just like, you know, considered the smart, smart people in the community and, right. and very well regarded. Um, so I didn't even give it a thought when I became an economist, like, am I going to make money? 
I said, figured I'll make enough money to eat. As a matter of fact, I remember my first job. I was like, they weren't paying me much, believe me. And I'm like tooling around in my, you know, incredibly used car around Washington thinking, hey, man, this is great. I, I was probably so poor at that time. <laughs> I, could, I was living in a terrible apartment with three other guys, you know. But I thought, hey, I'm making money. This is, you know, who who knew that you could actually make money? And and that was my attitude. But um, my you my sound, parents you sound like me, dude. That's <laughs> really? me currently. I'm I'm <laughs> rolling around and <laughs> rolling around in a very used car, living in an apartment with a couple other dudes. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, it's great. That's, but I'm, I, the, I'm my favorite version of me I've ever been. So, uh, well, that's the, good. You know, that's hopefully nice to hear. the, the, uh, the, hopefully I can, you know, you inspire me, man. I honestly, I feel like you're a role model in a way. Like I can absolutely go, well, if I can find something, because this is a, a thing I always say, and believe me, you can, you can, you can apply this to yourself. You can use this, you can use this phrase. Uh, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a comedian. I wanted to be a pro wrestler. I didn't know I wanted to be a. I didn't know I wanted to be a podcaster because podcasting didn't exist yet. So, the same thing with like, what if I start a thing that becomes a thing that that that's, but it doesn't exist yet. So right. no, you know. Right. So uh, everything is an evolving process, and that that's the name of the show. <laughs> so. Well, that's right. And life is an adventure, you know, so either you consider it an adventure. You know, I'm always amazed when people say, oh, yeah, you know, um, you know, you got to do this in life. You got to do that. You got to get married, got to have kids, got to have a house, got to, you know, or whatever they say. You know, that's not true. You know, you got to you got to sort of follow follow your dream. And I will say this, too. Serendipity plays a huge part. I mean, what if what if I pitch the channel and everybody said, no, it's a stupid idea, which they said at first. And then um, just, but then, but then nothing yeah. happened, right? Right. So I would have, I would have been okay. I would have done something else. Who knows? You know, who knows where that would have gone? Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, you have to have faith in yourself a little bit that something will come along that'll grab your attention or grab your interest. And then, if you're passionate about it, and I'll tell you something, I was very passionate about comedy in those days. I mean, I really, I think that's what helped me sell the whole concept. I, I loved it so much that I could talk endlessly about it with passion. And I think that, you know, got other people excited, but everybody's passionate about something. I assume you're passionate about wrestling and, Mm -hmm. uh, and comedy, you know, and that's good because you gotta, you gotta, you gotta have your passions in your life one way or the other. (laughs) I I apply the, there's more than one way up the mountain to every other thing that I'm doing. Yeah, true. I, it's not, it's not my podcast. If I don't quote, uh, Incubus song. All right, go ahead. The band Incubus has a song where it says, will I ever get to where I'm going? If I do, will I know when I'm there? So it's not, it's, it's really a part of like, to me, I, I take that lyric as going like, well, I, I'll never just be like all the way content with like, here's, here's all the things I want to be. And I am them. So that's all I got to do. I, I gotta, I gotta continue to climb up that mountain as Miley Cyrus would say, there's always going to be another mountain. I'm always going to want to make it move. Yeah, she said that. It's I all about it's all about the climb. Yeah. Well, you know what? As long as we're waxing philosophical here, you know oh, you're yeah. gonna you're well, gonna, gonna hit waxing philosophically all the time. <laughs> you, you got to You're gonna hit a lot of bumps in your life. I mean, yeah. you know, and it, it, with comedy, I'll tell you one big bump. I mean, cut to the end of my book. You know what happened? 
I got fired after eight years of putting the place together, after pitching it, after feeling incredibly personally responsible in a way that I never have since for any job that I've had, you know, um, I got fired and it was just like, it was unexpected, although I should have seen it coming. Right. But it was unexpected and it, it floored me. It Mm -hmm. floored me for a time. You know, it just, it just knocked me down. And I, you know, you say, Art, you know, you must be really proud of what you did. I couldn't even remember what I did at that moment. You know, I was so low. I was so down. And I, you know, I didn't know if I was ever going to work again. That's how it occurred to me. Mm -hmm. I didn't know if I was ever going to work again. And uh, I was young. You know, I was relatively young. Um, Of course, I did pull myself together and, you know, got more jobs and had a great career and all that stuff. Um, but, you, you know, you, you don't see the really bad bumps coming. You don't see them coming. Dude, losing any job, losing any job, even even if it's a job you hate, losing any job makes you feel so shitty. Like, yeah. honestly, I, I worked at a job for like five years and it was like, I was like, oh, this place feels like it's family. Everybody cares about each other. And I was, I met, I met my replacement the day they fired me. And I was like, I was that easily replaced. You know, it was like, I, I, I had learned everybody's families and uh, uh, how important this all was. And like, you know, the, 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 the way I looked at it was like, this is all a part of the evolving. This is a part of the journey and I'll, I'll get some, but when it comes to, that you said you'd been there eight, you were there eight years. Uh, did at at the eight year point, did it feel still like like a like a job? Did it just feel like something like work that you were doing, or did it feel like you were like still part of a revolution? That's an interesting question. Uh, you know what it it did it did feel like um, it was it was still pretty fresh. I mean, I left around the time that they, you know, they started doing the the daily show Mm -hmm. and the daily show came from something that we had done and started a few years earlier, which was covering politics and, uh, and news. Mm -hmm. We didn't do it as a daily show. We did the first thing we did, and this was just an idea that was generated by a bunch of us sitting around a room saying, Hey man, we, how are we going to get in trouble? You know, we're a comedy network. We got to do something crazy. What are we going to do? And somebody said, well, you know, the presidential state of the union address is coming up. And somebody else said, yeah, so big deal. That's boring. And, uh, and then somebody else said, Hey, why don't we just cover it live and have a comedian talking about it? You know, MST style. So we did. We thought, okay, that's a crazy idea, right? And everybody else said, that's a crazy idea. But we did it. And that was 1992. And it was, by the way, Al Franken was the first comedian who did that. And he was great. He he had been on the Saturday Night Live and we snagged him for this. Um, And it was a moment where sort of the press looked up, you know, they hadn't been real nice to us before, but it was two years after we launched or a year and a half after we launched. And they said, Hey, these guys at comedy central, they're doing something special. You know, they're really doing some stuff now. So when you say, was it just a job or was it? No, a a job is where you go in and, you know, you try and make things incrementally better every day. Mm -hmm. What we like to see. And what I was still seeing was like these little explosions of creativity all over the place, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and really admiring what we were doing or the work other people were doing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. All those creative people in one place coming up with 
great programming and great ideas and great comedy. It was it was very exciting. And when when I left, I will say this. <laughs> it's in my book, by the way. I'm I'm, I, I'm like exposing the whole book. If you get me talking long enough, you don't have to write, you know buy the book. <laughs> You just you just say okay. Well, just listen to that podcast. Well, you don't have to buy the book. Yeah. Um, right. <laughs> but anyway, well, they, when the new guy came in, he said, "Okay, we're gonna we're we're not gonna fire you right now." He didn't say right now. He said, "We're gonna put you in new business development." Now, how many people you think were in new business development at the time? Zero. I, I, it was zero, and I was number one, right? So I'm suddenly I'm new business development. I said, "All right, what am I gonna do?" Right? And the internet had just started, so I just started saying, "All right, great. Well, let's have let's do a website, you know, and let's make it funny." And that's what we did. We had a great time. I hired some other people. Um, so, uh, and then the then the guy said, <laughs> "He said, man, you did a great job on this website." I said, "Thanks." He goes, "But we're gonna have to let you go." <laughs> ah. <laughs> I said, what? Um, anyway, you know, you never stop. That That's mm -hmm. my point. You know, wherever they threw me in new business development and I knew the handwriting was on the wall, but I wanted to go out swinging. That's all. Mm -hmm. I wanted to go out swinging. Well, just be a deliberate creator. That's absolutely what you are. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I see that from a mile away. And I honestly, man, when, when we connected, I was like, I just want to know you <laughs> like, so oh, I nice. for sure, I for sure wanted to get your book and read your book. And like you said, you don't even have to read the book, but I'm like, yeah, but I actually would like to chat with you and know you first. And then it's like, I, I like to move a little backwards because I have this platform and not, not everybody does. That's so for, for sure, your relationship with me and your stories with me are going to have a different tone and a reflection and inflection then maybe what people are going to read in the context of the of the stories because they have that's right they have the ability to read the pages before it and the pages after it right right i think that's right um the book um you know we were you were talking about the fact that it was a memoir mm -hmm. and that was a very interesting thing to write because you know memoir is it's not like i did any research i didn't I, I uh, completely relied on my memory of what was going on. And that's what memoirs are, you know. And I worried a little bit as I was writing it that maybe I'm misremembering it. Maybe did this really happen? Was that person there? Did that guy say that? But I found I remembered so much of it, you know. It was so vivid to me. And I wanted to convey what it was like working in this environment. And I think I did a really good job. I think it was funny. But, you know, one of the comments I always get from people who read it is like, man, we didn't realize how brutal the television business was. Because, mm -hmm. you know, in the book, everybody's getting fired left and right constantly. You know, it's not like <laughs> it's not like once in a while somebody got, you know, got canned because they were doing a bad job. It mm -hmm. was like that's what we lived with. You know, right. it was that crazy of an environment. And it was it was a little scary. Well, I mean, dude, entertainment business jobs are tough to hold on to. I mean, they don't come across very often, and especially from the talent side. It's very independent contractory, 1099, sort of like you You don't get jobs. You get like a gig. You get gigs, yeah. 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 And uh, Well, I came from corporate. You know, I figured, hey, you right. get jobs, right? They right. made me, you know, they put me in programming at comedy, and I'm like, okay, I got a job. But – People were flying by, you know, coming in, leaving, you know, and somebody got on, somebody 
wasn't happy with, you know, somebody on the board wasn't happy with one of the execs. It's like, boom, you're out. So it was, it was pretty tough, but I, you know, again, I talk about that negatively. I just want to impress upon everybody. It was the greatest adventure of my life. Right, it really course. was of my career. Right. Uh, and I don't regret a minute of it, but I just, I wanted to, to write the book so that people understood what I was going through and the fact that it wasn't easy and I wasn't always just <laughs> cocky about or cocksure or like, oh, this is a piece of cake or this is going to work. Or, mm-hmm. I, I was, I had a lot of doubts myself. Yeah, dude. I mean, it's, 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 it's kind of, it's really an uphill, a up, uphill struggle. And, yeah. and for sure, when it comes to you writing the book, it, it, it makes so much sense because, if you if you remember if you remember it and then you don't put it on the record, like it's just your memory. And then when you go, it's gone. Like here is like your your family, your friends, your people who care about you now can look back and be like, this was inside of his head, and now it's on this on this page. And I can I can understand what art was thinking at this time. And and the origin stories of of his proudest moments and his his funnest times and the 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 character development of who art is. And I mean, honestly, I I toyed around with the the idea of writing a book myself for a really long time. Now, I I struggle with this uh, this uh, imposter syndrome, I guess you could say. Uh, very much, I very much go like, oh well, what kind of a big deal am I? No one's gonna care to read my book, right? And then I. I that was that was years ago. I started writing this book when I was like, I was like twenty or something. I was who the heck would want to read some twenty-year-old's book? Like you're not important. You didn't do anything yet. And I was like, well, I'll start writing it now. And then when I'm somebody, and I can, and I can like have people see this, then people will want to read it. But so wait, I, you were writing a memoir. You started a memoir. Uh, I mean, just about the, your autobiography, life. Yeah, autobiography. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and. And I was like, I was like, you know what? Uh, as it got closer and closer to the present, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna, I'm gonna write something in a book, and then in ten years from now, maybe I'll have said something in the book that I don't agree with at that point, and I don't want to have somebody like come up to me and be like, you wrote this thing, and it's published now that you think this. This is stamped. And I want to want to be like have an opportunity where I can have a voice, so you can hear me. I I was like, podcasting and audio is the new literature in in my brain, and and I mean for sure I got a lot of the points across, but my origin story isn't as black and white as as putting it on a page, which is still something is in my my long term goals to do because I have those notebooks that I wrote in when I was younger to like put a story out, but. For sure, it's something I still really would like to do. Yeah, well, writing writing a memoir is uh, it was a fascinating experience, and I, truthfully, I didn't start out to write a book. Mm-hmm. Right. And on top of that, I didn't really start out to write anything about Comedy Central. I just wanted to write memoir. Mm-hmm. You know, I just thought I have a lot of interesting stories about myself. Mm-hmm. I've seen a lot of interesting things and had some fun times, and and I mostly started. To, writing stories about my childhood, you know, about being a kid or being in high school or whatever. And uh, I found I really enjoyed it. And that was, it was 
almost a little bit of a surprise because you talk to so many writers, not so many, you talk to some writers and they say, oh my gosh, it's so hard to write. I hate writing. Dorothy Parker said, um, I hate writing. I love having written. And that, you know, that is sort of the way a lot of people feel about writing. But I just really enjoy the process. I just really think it's fun. Um, and then I started writing about comedy a little bit and realized that I had a lot of stories. So I started writing that again with no intention of making a book. Suddenly it's like, Can't wait a second. On. Yeah. There it is, man. I got, I got a book. I had to fill it in a little bit, you know, mm -hmm. but, yeah. and so I recommend that. I mean, it sounds like you're going about it the right way that you're, you're writing pieces of stories and mm -hmm. things about your, your childhood and your, uh, and keeping a diary, right? You keep a diary. Is that what you're doing? I, I don't. I don't currently keep a diary, but I probably should start journaling. I mean, yeah. I, well, you I, know, I, these days it's easy because everybody's got a blog. Mm -hmm. You know, everybody's talking about what they're doing, and Facebook is kind of like a journal, I guess. Right. I yeah. I'm not. I'm not real big on it, but but you know, there's there's lots of uh, there's lots of opportunities to to remember what you're all about. Yeah, I mean, I. I hope, I hope honestly that, well, I, I for sure know that this is, this is a, a timestamp in my life. And I, I really appreciate everything being on the record, everything. So uh, a, a really good friend of mine, he was a, he was a writer for Comedy Central. Oh, really? And uh, he worked at Comedy Central in Jersey City. Well, he lived in Jersey City and he worked at Comedy Central in New York. And, um, he, he came on the show and I wanted to make sure I said to him on the record, like, Hey, you know, I, I think you're going to be a really big deal, but I just want to let you know, to me right now, you're a superstar and you're, you're hilarious and I love you. And I just want to make sure that's on the record now. So, you know, in case one day one of us isn't here, the other one can come back and listen to this conversation where on the record, I told you that I love you and I care about you and you're a superstar. And he was like, honestly, bro, I, I feel the exact same way. And he was telling me nice things about myself. And, you know, he passed a couple of years ago. And that he meant, did? yeah, and that meant so oh, much yeah, to me to be able to go back and listen to that, to go back and listen to that. And, and then I go back now on the record telling you that story, that, that, that connection is like you built something. You built something that gave a, a career to somebody I love. And uh, I, on the record, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> on the record, you're welcome. I'm happy to have done it. Yeah, yeah. That's cool. Now, I know this is something I was interested in asking you about because I, I, I was talking to somebody yesterday about the 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 kind of the network that we met up on, uh, and they were like, "Oh, I've done." I've done so many podcasts. A lot of the people that I talk to are like, yeah, I'm, I'm a guest on, I'm a guest on like six podcasts a day. And I'm like, Oh man, it's got to get exhausting. How many, how many times can you tell the same stories? How many people are asking you the same questions? And that led me to want to ask you, what's the most common question that you've been asked now being guests on people's podcasts? I'm trying to think if there was a, I guess the most common question is how did you end up pitching a, a comedy network idea when you were like a, you know, you weren't 
you had nothing to do with comedy or programming and and did they accept it right away you know like tell us that particular story that moment that i think that's where people wanted to go with me mm-hmm. you know like what what was the actual moment of of when you knew that something was cooking here don't don't answer your own question art because oh. If people want, if people want to find out that story, they'll look up other podcasts that you're on. I don't care about everybody else's podcast, but I'm very interested. Right, that's fair, I guess. <laughs> so what? What's the what's the off the wall question you're going to ask me? Oh, am I am I supposed to ask you an off the wall question? No, no, you can ask me whatever you want. <laughs> Doesn't mean I'm going to answer it, but I mean, well, you can, well I, I I for sure very much think that. Uh, hopefully, most of what we've talked about has been pretty off the wall and. Not very. Uh, yeah, it's not. It hasn't been the standard interview right. that I've yeah. had on podcasts or radio. I have to uh, say, which so is fine. It's great. What is uh, what is the uh, experiences with drugs like in that time, in like the eighties, and <laughs> in the uh, well, I in the boom. I will say this: um, when I got to uh, HBO, I was kind of in the mid eighties, mm-hmm. and they were all saying, "Oh man, this place is great," but you should have been here last year. Mm-hmm. It was it was an amazing place because everybody was kind of young mm-hmm. and everybody was so into what they were doing, but not but and there was lots of drugs around. I have to mm-hmm. say that. Yeah. Um, I don't know. That story's been written, you know, that memoir, not a memoir, but history of HBO has been written. Mm-hmm. And they mentioned that, you know, and a lot of people were kind of drugged out. Everybody was getting divorced. But you know, so it was kind of like a it was kind of like a scene. I remember I went to my first sales conference in HBO. I was the whole time I was like this. <laughs> you know, like, <laughs> how, how do you get desensitized to how do you get desensitized to like this is what regular life is now? Like how, where where does that happen? I'm not sure I ever did get desensitized to it. I'm not sure anybody gets desensitized to it. I think there are people who are swept up in it. To the point where they're out of control, you mm-hmm. know, where they can't really control it. Yeah, but, like, you know, the difference is, like, I, I had this friend, he was, <laughs> I won't mention his name. He was the head of scheduling at HBO, right? Big job, right? So we're at this, we're at this retreat and it, he gets like totally zonked on God knows what it was, you know, liquor, drugs, whatever. And he, we're at a resort and he takes, he, he grabs a golf cart and he drives it into the ocean. Okay. And I just remember thinking, now what the, what is that guy? But you know, the next day he comes to, he comes to the meeting and he's like, got his dark glasses on because he's totally hung over. You know, (laughs) I said, Dave, what the, he said, yeah, that was really stupid. You just said you wouldn't say his name. Oh, well, his name was Dave. I didn't say his whole name. (laughs) I know. I'm just playing. (laughs) I'm not going to say his whole name. Besides, if I did, he'd say, "Hey, Art, thanks for the plug, man." <laughs> He's a great guy. Well, well, <laughs> go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, but just um, my my point is that's different from somebody who doesn't realize it was a crazy thing to do. Um, but you know, yeah. We, listen, it it was a little bit crazy, and there were a lot of drugs running around. Uh, cocaine, especially, mm-hmm. was a big deal back then, and um, you know, pot. Hold over from college, right? Mm-hmm. And they don't call them pot anymore. Is that right? Grass, marijuana, weed. 
I'm not, I'm not the official. I'm not the official namer of. No, it's like my kids are like, I say, hey, yeah, you know, like it'd be great to, you know, have some pot or something. And they go, dad, that's, they, they don't call that. Or what? what is the other thing I call it? Um, I can't remember. There's some, there's some name I have for drugs that they say, Oh my God, dad, really? Um, but cause I, you know, I'll tell you one thing that's interesting, even if you have kids, it's very hard to keep up with pop culture if you're not that age or pot culture or pot culture <laughs> right on. Um, yeah, exactly. Right. Because it just doesn't make as much of a difference to, right. to Dude, me every, now. every, every moment is fleeting. Yeah. Every, every trend is, is, is onto the next trend. And that's, that's probably something you've come up with, you know, in TV programming, in, in being part of that, that like showing people, and this is another thing I wanted to kind of get into with you because you, you're, how many kids do you have? You have two, two kids. Yeah. So as far as like, that's a whole other role that you're picking up. So it's like <laughs> you, you're, you're an influence on this and then you have to be an influence on this other form of, of people making and pe like making, is there, is there like a moment where you're like, I have to be careful about the impressions that I make, like, and what, what oh, is my kids? Yeah. I, I think I, you know, my kids are in their twenties. Right. Um, so what so it's, it's like, not, you know, it's, there's not a whole lot of artifice left, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, I think the first time they asked, Excuse me, Dad. Did you ever do drugs? No. Yeah, I never. I never did drugs. And they're like, seriously, you never did drugs? I didn't do drugs. But you know, that was like that's what you were supposed to say when your kid is fourteen uh, years old, mm -hmm. because if you said, "Oh yeah, I did drugs," it was, uh, but don't you shouldn't do drugs. Right, right, that, right. That doesn't really sound real good. Right. But um, you know, kids find their own way. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, and and you have to. Do you have kids? No. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because you, you were talking about the two spheres, you know, work mm -hmm. and home. Now at work, I had to be a manager, right? I had lots mm -hmm. and lots of people working for me and I had to keep them excited. And if there was a problem, I'd call them in and talk to them. And I was thinking like, oh, this is like being their dad. You know, I'm trying to talk to them in a, in a serious way about how to make their, you know, improve their performance or solve one, some problem or something. But, you know, you can't be like that at home. You're not a manager to your kids. You know what I mean? Right, right. It's not like work. Yeah, it's, it's family, dude. It's really different. Right, yeah. And sometimes I would come home and I'd be in that manager mode. And I, just, <laughs> I just, you know, I, I guess you sometimes see it now. You know, did you ever see a kid on a bus, like a, like a six-year-old, like screaming bloody murder, and the mom saying, no, sweetheart. I don't think the people here really appreciate the noise level you're making. Mm -hmm. And the kid's like, Wah! you know, and they, they don't even get it. Right. Cause you have to really do, you can't deal with kids like they're adults cause they're not. <laughs> so it's a different thing. My, my sister's daughter, uh, my sister's daughter was, well, came up and my, my sister lives in North Carolina and I'm, I'm in the Philly area. And uh, my sister, my sister brought her daughter here and, she was at my mom's house and I was over there. And when my sister went out, um, she was like the left, left the kid with my mom and me and the kid like started losing her mind and crying. And I was like, does this work? Does this work for you? I was, I was asking my mom I was like, you can't apply adult logic to how you speak to this kid. You can't do it. And people make the mistake of doing that all the time. It's funny. <laughs> anyway.
Well, you know, remember the the Bill Burr bit when he was talking about the dog, where he's like amping the dog all up, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, amping yeah, the dog yeah. all up, and he's like, you got to bring right. it back down. Yeah. So I I figure that when I come to talk to to a kid, I'm like, huh, hey, why don't we bring this down? I'm going to talk to you like you're a person, and uh, not ready to hear it. <laughs> yeah, let me tell you, man. I said that when I started comedy, I didn't know anything about comedy. When I started being a dad, I didn't know anything about being a dad. I mean, it's talk about learning on the job. Right. Man, I, you're, I, just, I, you're just trying to figure it out as fast as you can. I use the word ill-equipped. Yeah. So I use the word ill-equipped a lot when it comes to uh, when it comes to talking about these these roles, like a like a, a fo- you're learning. This is on the job training. <laughs> like I'm learning as I go here. Yeah. And the interesting thing is, though, think about this, and I have. The training you have is the training you got from dealing with your parents and the way they dealt with you. Right. And ultimately you want to be a better version of let's that. Assu- yeah. Let's assume that wasn't, you know, optimal. Right. Right. Because <laughs> right. it wasn't, you know, I mean, yeah. things were different back then. So yeah. um yeah, it's it's that's that's the big challenge, man. Being a father, being a being a parent. It's so, always there. Two more things. Yeah. And then I'll send you off with a hot dog and a handshake. You can right, right. off into the sunset. Right. So I, I do this thing that I call audio time travel. Okay. So like we were talking about this stuff being on the record and it outliving us. Right. So he said, your kids are in their twenties now. Yeah. Let's say in 2041, 10 years from now, they're, they're listening back to this and hearing the message to take Four. That's that's twenty years from now, man. I just wanted okay. to get that. Okay, I'm sorry. That on the record. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> no. Oh, oh, he's math shaming me, folks. He's math. That's shaming. like that's like when you go. Okay, there's four things I want to tell you, man. It's like, oh, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, so twenty years from now. Okay, I'm with what you. What is so the far. message? Because they're gonna listen back. This stuff's outliving us, man. They're gonna listen back to this in twenty years and understand, like, you know. You might, you might be here. You might still be here, but an older version who won't be able to share the things that maybe you can share right now that can be applicable to them in 20 years when they need to hear it. What are the things you're saying? Well, I said some of them. I mean, first of all, I, I, I always like to think that we should be bold and take chances. I think your life is so much more interesting if you're bold and you take chances. Uh, and the people who do incredible things in, in the world. And I don't count myself among them, but the people really do incredible things. They're, you know, they're putting themselves out there and they're daring people to uh, tell them the wrong or to, or to have them fail. And, uh, and sometimes you do fail. And that's, I, I, I would, I would want my kids to know that failure is okay. Because if you don't try, then you don't know. You don't know if you can really pull it off. I think that's it. What was the second thing? You said two things. Yeah, I didn't get to the second part. Yet. Oh, right. <laughs> Real quick, I wanted to just make sure I, I uh, give you this permission to celebrate yourself here for just a moment. Because you okay. said you don't count yourself as one of the people who do incredible things. But I'm sitting here telling you, you are somebody who's done Thank incredible you. That's very nice of you. That's, you, that's you nice. You're not somebody who was like, oh, I'm going to write a book. And then you never get to doing it. You wrote the book. And you put it out. You weren't somebody who was like, I'm going to start, I'm going to start this revolution. 
and then never get around to doing it. You started the revolution and now you have the book to write about it. So been there, done that, got a t-shirt. You can say been there, done that, wrote the book about it. Right. So that's a good t-shirt. <laughs> that is a good t-shirt. <laughs> so the other thing I was going to say, so hypothetically, you do honestly, yeah. you've got so many lessons to teach. So the lessons aren't just wrapped up. Like, not all the lessons are in these pages. The lessons, the lessons can go on and on. Some of them are in there, and, and the story, not all of them. You know, don't no, say true, true, yeah. true. So, i i want to I want to encourage you to perhaps start your own podcast, and I would be happy to be a guest on your podcast. Get out of here! I should start a podcast. Yes, you absolutely should. If I can, I want to make sure I tell you. I would absolutely be a resource to you in any way. If you need a friend, if you need help, if you need any support, you got, you got, okay. you got a I friend. Am, I am calling that chip in right now because here's what's happening. Mm -hmm. My friend, Vinny Favalli, who's in the book, he worked at comedy with me from day one or mm -hmm. two, whatever. <laughs> he called me up the other day, said, we're doing a podcast. I said, what do you mean we are doing a podcast? He said, me and you, we're going to do a podcast. We're going to do a 12 episode series right off the bat about how comedy begun began. Mm -hmm. And and we're going to interview people from back in the day, people mm -hmm. who were there talk about, you know, with the comedians who were there, talk about it with the, the guys who worked with us. And so we're starting it up. We are starting it up. Good, and good. I don't know the first thing about how to be an interviewer on a podcast. Did you read uh, Judd Apatow's book? Um, no, but I certainly know about it. It's it's all his old interviews with, with comedians, all, and he like, it's so cool. Like he was like a teenager, and he was interviewing Steve Martin. Yeah, how cool is that? Awesome. That's so cool. How cool is that? So, the way I wrap up the show is I okay. always say hypothetically, I've gifted you this podcast. So this has been your first episode of your podcast, oh, evolving you. with Art Bell. All right, all right. Well, that's so, great. This is the no. first episode because we don't have any episodes yet. <laughs> we just had a dream. So, um, thank so you. for sure, uh, what I'd like to ask you to do is uh, wrap up your new podcast in a Jerry Jerry Springer's final thought sort of way, where you wrap it up in a nice, pretty little bow, and tell people what lessons they can take to evolve to a better version of themselves tomorrow as they were today, and just to keep it silly at the end, do your best Alf and say, Hey Willie. I'm not doing my best Alf. Are you kidding me? I can't do that. I can't even do the first thing, but I'll try. Okay. Listen, Hey, it's great to be, uh, it's great to have spent a little time with you here tonight. Um, it's really been a lot of fun and, uh, I hope you got, if nothing else, you saw that what pays off for any of us in life is perseverance. You know, things are hard. If you stick with them, it'll work out one way or the other. But, you know, if you don't have that ability to persevere, you're not going to get anywhere. So here's Art Bell saying, uh, hang in there. <laughs> keep keep going at whatever you're doing. Dude, Art, I have to I have to say, like, how grateful I am to you um, that I, I have to I have to add perseverance to my daily vocabulary a little more. And thank you for that lesson. Oh, sure. Uh, thank you for the time. Honestly, I always, I always say how important I think the currency of effort is. The currency of effort is way more valuable than the currency of, uh, well, the currency of time and effort 
is way more important than the currency of of money. Uh, money can come and go, but but intention and love and attention and effort are so valuable. That's so right. so right. I appreciate you so much. I want to let you know, honestly, if I can be any resource to you in any way, please don't hesitate to text me. You got my number. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy this is, I feel like this is still just the very beginning of what our friendship's going to be. Yeah, and of I'm, course. Glad, it's great. I'm glad about it. I am so glad to have met you tonight. And thank you for the offer. And I will uh, definitely take you up on it. So thanks. All right. Awesome. Well, also want to just say anybody listening, if this is your first time checking out Evolving with Corey Castle, uh, check out, go back and check out the other episodes. If you've enjoyed this one, if, 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 if you've, if you've liked the, the love that comes from the effort that you've given me and you pay me in that currency, I, the only, the only payment I'm asking is just for a subscribe, a like, a share, Comment below. Let me know that you exist. If you're if you're following me on YouTube, youtube.com slash Corey Castle. Subscribe on I, Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Get new episodes every Monday. And Art, uh, if you want, when this episode comes out or when, you know, when this video is up, take it. Do whatever you want with it. With All right, that's great. All right. You know what I want to do right now, though, is just remind people to buy sure. my book. Yeah, I was about it's to called, do that. Well. Okay, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. No, no, no. Hey, no. I, is this my podcast or your podcast? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to say probably articulate it better than I can. The name of the book is Constant Comedy, How I Started Comedy Central and Lost My Sense of Humor. And you can buy it at Amazon or, you know, any bookstore in America hopefully has it. Um, and I hope you buy it. And I hope not only do I hope you buy it, I, I really hope you read it because I think it's uh, I think it's a cool thing to know about. Um, secondly, if you want to know more about me, and I know you're out there saying, oh, man, this has been a great hour, but I would like to find out a lot more about Art Bell, uh, you can go to my website, artbellwriter.com. I've got some other writing I've done on there. I've got an interview with myself, which is pretty cool, and, uh, and some more stuff on my book. So check it out. Thank you. All right, Art. Have a great night, man. Thanks so much for your time. You too. Everybody else, be fun. Have safe. Keep evolving.